Well, we declare this year is a year of the wide open door, and we're believing it's a year of possibility, it's a year of favor. I like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. He says, there's a wide open door for a great work here, even though many oppose me. And I, I, I'm really believing this year that each and every one of us would experience open doors. Uh, sometimes we need to hear that there's a wide open door in front of us because sometimes it can feel like doors are closing. In fact, God had to say to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Uh, and he made a covenant with Abraham that he was going to bless him because he, Abraham had to remind himself that God was going to bless him because sometimes it felt like God was going to kill him. But uh, the promise held him during those times. And, and right now you can feel like there's closed doors in front of you. But what you've got to remember is when you're facing a closed door that God promised a wide open door. And uh, whatever you're going through right now, God is on your side. He's working for you. And if God be for you, come on, who can be against you? And uh, I want to declare today that God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. Uh, that's part of his purpose and that's part of his plan. That, that then through you, all the families of the world, all the people of the world will be blessed. Come on, everybody say, I am blessed. You're blessed already, but you're blessed so that you can be a blessing. And uh, that's part of God's plan. If you got your Bible this morning, I want you to go to Acts chapter 10. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. This is an important uh, chapter in uh, the development of the early church. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 10, and we'll be reading from verse 1. It says, In Caesarea there lived a Roman officer named Cornelius, who was captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as everyone as was everyone in his household. Listen to this. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. There's some good disciplines to have there. It says he, he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some people to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. Now I love just this passage here because Cornelius' um, disciplines attracted heaven. He was a magnet to heaven. Uh, the question I want to ask this morning is what attracts heaven to yours and my life? Because I believe if we can attract heaven, we'd experience wide open doors. Now what you've got to understand, Acts chapter 10 is an important chapter in church history because this is a chapter where cultural prejudice is broken down. And God began to have an impact on a whole new group of people. Up to this point in time, God was moving among the Jews. But Acts chapter 10 is where the church breaks out and God begins to move among the Gentiles. Largely, you and I are here because of this chapter. Uh, Acts chapter 10 is, is a chapter where, where, where the message of Jesus and the baptism of the Holy Spirit it, it spreads to the Gentiles. And up to this point in time, the question was asked, who is the good news for? Is it just for the Jews, or is it for people beyond that? 
Now, now this chapter brings answers. And, and what happens through a radical encounter with Jesus, Simon Peter, uh, his paradigms were totally broken. See, up to this time, he thought it was just for the Jews. But he has an encounter on a rooftop. And, and God comes to him and says, don't call uh, unclean what I've made clean. And from that revelation, Simon Peter had an understanding, hey, this isn't just for us. This is for the world. In fact, in Acts 10, verse 28, Peter talks about this, and Peter told them, he said, you know it is against the laws for a Jewish man to enter, enter a Gentile home like this and to associate with you. But God has shown me. I wonder what God wants to show you today. God, maybe God wants to speak outside of your paradigm. Here he says, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure and unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. And Cornelius replied, four days ago I was praying in my house at the same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send some messages to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it is good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Yeah, isn't it interesting? This is, Cornelius gets a, vi a vision that Simon Peter's got a message. Simon Peter has a vision that he needs to go meet Cornelius. And they come together and Cornelius says, hey, Simon Peter, you got a message for me. Imagine somebody at your work, you know, saying, I had a dream of you last night and I saw you in my dream and you've got a message for me. How many would feel a little bit put on the spot right at that time? Now, I'm sure Simon Peter right at the time was freaking out. What's the message that I've got for you? But in this moment, God began to speak. And there was an understanding that God wanted to do something bigger than what they initially thought. I wonder whether in our hearts we could actually grasp what God wants to do in and through this church. I wonder whether we've just limited it. See, right now we've got 21 locations around New Zealand and 18 internationally. But I really believe that's just the beginning of what God wants to do. In fact, God wants us, uh, us to have a vision of something so much greater than what, uh, what's uh, happening right here and now. But we're gonna, uh, what we've got to realize is that God works outside of the paradigms that you and I live in. See, see Simon Peter had a I now realize moment. Up to this time, I've contained everything in this box and in this, this way of thinking. But, but through one visitation, he came to a point where he said, I now realize. Now, I believe some of us here today may leave from this place just saying, wow, I now realize that, that church is bigger than what I initially thought. You know, so many people today think church is a building. You know, I'm glad that uh, we don't think that as a church. We're so much more than a building. We're a group of people who have been called out for a specific purpose. We're on mission. You know, so many people, you talk to them and they think that's a church, that's a church, but they don't realize that they are the church. We are the church. And just even that realization can change the whole people's whole approach to God. You know, Cornelius. Yeah, I love Cornelius in the scripture because 
he attracted the attention of heaven by his generosity in prayer. I quickly just want to unpack these two characteristics because, you know, if we'd be generous and would pray, I believe we'd experience more wide open doors. In fact, I challenge to say generosity and prayer are the two key, two key things to spark a revival. If you study revivals anywhere around the world, those two key things are always at the heart of the move of God. Generosity and prayer. That's central to revival. Come on, how many want to see a revival in their lifetime? Yeah. Want to see God do something significant in the city? If we're to see that, we need to understand the kingdom principle of generosity. Generosity. Generosity enlarges your world. Yeah, uh, number one, generosity is a key characteristic. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, listen to this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Well, that's pretty strong. He doesn't say suggest to them. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. In other words, that's not a good place to put your security in. You know, so many people go, oh, I just need enough money in my bank account uh, until I'm secure. Well, you know, how much money is enough? Yeah, and, and even if you put your security in money, it's uncertain. That's what Paul's saying here. But it says, hey, I want you to put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's good news. Come on, God wants you to enjoy life. God wants you to live a full life. And he provides everything so you and I can live that full life. It goes on, command them, listen to this, command them to do good. Turn to your neighbor and say, do good. Because that's a command. Again, not a suggestion. He says, this, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's the Lord of your life, do good. Do good. Be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. In this way, you'll lay up treasure. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Yeah, who, who here would like to be rich? Anybody like to be rich? Yeah, a few people are lifting their hand. Yeah, uh, do you know what's more important is actually being rich in good deeds? Uh, I, I challenge to say even people here in this place are, are richer than they think they are. You know, in fact, a study was done you know, among people as to how much money uh, defines rich. And there's actually no amount. Because even people who you may consider rich still don't consider themselves rich. Do you know if you have 45,000 uh, uh, combined income, uh, a combined income of 45,000, you're in the richest 1% in the world. Yeah, could you be rich and not even not? But you're looking at everybody else and saying, they're rich, they're rich. Oh, they're, this, uh, this, uh, this scripture doesn't apply to me. Command those who are rich, it applies to everybody else. But you know, maybe it does apply to each and every one of us. You know, um, yeah, and here's the thing. You know, just because you, you have a lot of money doesn't mean you're good at being rich. Yeah, yeah, just like somebody can have a whole lot of kids doesn't mean they're a good parent. 
just saying, and it's just like, like just because you're rich doesn't mean you're good at it. And, and here Paul is saying, come on, I, I want you to be good, good at being rich. You know, I, I want you to be known for generosity. Yeah? And I want you to be known as people who have compassion. See, uh, when people think of church in a lot of places, they, they often don't think of generosity and compassion. But we want to change that. Because it's this no expectation generosity that was the hallmark of the early church. In fact, one of the questions that historians have wrestled with for, for years is how did this group of disorganized people get to a place where they, they actually toppled the, the Roman Empire? You know, historians are grappling, how did you know, th this group do that. This disenfranchised, you know, they had no standing in society. They were fishermen. You know, they, they, they had no wealth. How did they not just topple the Roman Empire? How did they change the world? How, how did Christianity not only just survive, but spread as fast as it did? And the only answer that they could come up with was, was that they were generous and they had compassion. Now, now, where did that come from? It came from the teachings of Jesus. And, and through the New Testament, uh, generosity uh, you know, is reinforced about you know, giving to those who can't return anything to you. Come on, remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Uh, the story of the Good Samaritan is a story of a, a victim of racism who actually stops to help somebody who was probably a racist. Think about that. It's a, a story of a victim of racism, a, a Samaritan, who were the outcasts of society. They stopped to help somebody who was actually a victim of a crime. And, and when Jesus told the story, it was almost unimaginable in that culture that a Samaritan would stop to help somebody who hated Samaritans. Who, who would do that? See, see what the first the early church did is they grabbed hold of these teachings and they lived with the generosity and the compassion and, and they leveraged all that they had for what it was worth and they changed the world with it. See, see Jesus, yeah, he, he taught a lot on love, but, but his view on love was so different to what we know and, and what we hear about. Uh, listen to how Jesus defines love in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 32. It says, listen to this. If, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? E even the sinners do that. And, and if you lend to those whom you expect a repayment, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners lend to sinners and expect to be repaid in full. Yeah, you know, here he's saying that that's just generally accepted. People give to those whom they think will give back. People do good to those who, who do good to them. But Jesus is saying, hey, I, I want to introduce a different way of doing good. I, I want to introduce a different way of loving. And in verse 34, it says, if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners lend to the sinners and expect to be repaid in full. Now, now, now Jesus 
was speaking to the audience and they were thinking, well, if I'm not going to give to somebody who can give back to me, then who am I going to give to? Because all as they knew was a, a giving with strings attached. You know, it was like, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And, and if the truth be known, that's how many people operate in this world. Well, well, I'll give if I can get something back. If they're nice to me, I'll be nice to them. You know, we even hang around people who are like us. But if we just love those who love us, we're no different than the tax collectors, than the sinners. And, and that's not a compliment. That the fact that you can hang out with people who are different to you is actually proof that the grace of God is working in your life. I love the fact that we're a multicultural, multi-generational church. You know, the proof that God's at work is that you can be friends with somebody who's not like you, not from the same demographic background, but you have something in common. You have Jesus Christ working in your heart. That, that's proof that God's working. But even in church today, people want to go to churches where, where there's a whole lot of people who look like them. You know, who, who have... Have the same things, but no, the grace of God uh, breaks down borders and boundaries that we, we, we society puts up. That, that's the thing. And Jesus introduced this whole new way of loving. See, it's this giving, this type of giving that drives many people today. Well, I, I, want, you, I want you to give to those, but Jesus says, I want you to give to those who can't give back. I, I want you to give to those who won't give back. Jesus said, yeah, verse 35, but love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting anything back. How many know that's radical? That's out there. It says, then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. He is kind. God, God is kind. He's not judging the people around. And by lending and by being generous, we're actually showing what God is really like. He's not waving his finger at people. He's kind to the wicked. He's kind and he's generous. See, in one single statement, Jesus undermined their whole view on generosity and the way that they view compassion. Jesus taught you're not just to do good to those who can do good to you, but you do good to those who can't do good to you. Because after all, your heavenly Father is good to you. And what makes you think you deserve it? See, thus is born a whole new approach to generosity. And it's this type of generosity that got the attention of heaven with Cornelius. He did good for nothing. It was good for nothing. You know, so many people, oh, you're good for nothing. You're good. No, but what we're going to do is good for nothing. You know, we're not expecting anything in return. Oh, why should I give? Why should I do that? No, it's good for nothing. We just do good because we're, we're believers in Jesus and we realize how much he's done for us. See, this is revolutionary. This is game changing. This, this is what it means to be a Christian. As, as we just go about doing good. Oh, what's my payoff? What do I get from it? No, nothing. Nothing. Absolutely. No, we just do good for nothing. And that gets the attention of heaven. When was the last time you did good for nothing? 
Because I, I believe if we just do good for nothing, you know, I believe heaven notices that and opens doors that we could never open. And you see, you've got to understand, your, your, your future is determined by God. Nothing, nobody else. In fact, listen to what Deuteronomy 15 says. I like how the message version puts it. Verse 10, it says, it says give freely and spontaneously. Come on, all those who've got their budgets worked out two years in advance. <laughs> I'm just saying. It says, give freely and spontaneously. Don't have a stingy heart. See, the way you handle matters like this triggers God. It triggers God. It triggers God. Your God's blessing in everything you do, all your work and ventures. Come on, how many want God's blessing on everything that they do? All their work, all their ventures. Yeah, what, what does it? Giving freely and spontaneously as she triggers. Some of us need to pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. It, it actually triggers God. It releases something in the spirit. And, and, and money is one of the biggest things that can have a hold on our heart. We talked about that a few weeks ago. You know, how the spirit of mammon can get on our money and we can serve mammon rather than God. But, but giving is the antidote to, to, to greed. It's the antidote to selfishness. Giving releases and it opens up something in our spirits. Come on, if your spirit's tight right now, generosity could be the key to unlocking it. God is not against stuff or money. He's just against anything that has the power to make decisions for us. Yeah. How many of you want to be known? You know, you know, we don't want to be known as returning evil for good. That's, that's wrong. That's hell. You know, evil for good. To, 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 to be human is to return good for good. But to be heavenly is to return good for evil. See, see, some of us, you know, we see it, you know, somebody does good and still somebody takes advantage of that and they return evil for good. That's bad. Most people in the world would say, that's wrong. That's wrong. That can't happen. That, that's bad. But, you know, people go, oh, you should do good for good. Good for good. That, that's human. That's at a human level. But Jesus takes it up a notch and he says, hey, I don't want you just to do good for good. I, I want you to do good for evil. Come on, this is earth shattering. But what you've got to understand, it also releases something in the spirit. Okay, number two, the second thing that Cornelius was known for. You've got to understand, this, this enabled the church. You know, Cornelius got the attention of heaven. And as a result of, of this meeting between Simon Peter and Cornelius, the church spread, multiplied. You and I are here today because of that. You know, I wonder what would happen if we get the attention of heaven. How, how, how many new areas that we could spread into? Prayer was critical. Cornelius was a prayer. It says he prayed regularly to God, not just when he had a problem. Because that's what some of us do. He prayed regularly to God. Now, I, I want to take you to a, a parable and found in Luke 18, parable Jesus told about prayer. And, and we're going to read verse 9. It says, Now, so, to some who were confident in their own righteousness, they looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. So he told this parable to correct people. He said, Two people went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. 
that I'm not like other people. I mean, no, not good right there. He goes, I'm not like those robbers, those evildoers, those adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a day and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. How many know there's no substitute for prayer? Absolutely no substitute. In fact, you know, a person who doesn't pray is somebody who relies on their own abilities. So I'm all good, God. I got this. I got today. You know, I don't need you. You know, I'm all right. That's what, in essence, you're saying when you don't start your day with a prayer, when you don't acknowledge God. You're saying, good, got it, sweet, figure it out myself. To, to pray is to actually acknowledge your need of God. And it says, yeah, God, I need you today. I, I can't do this without you. You know, here, the Pharisee, he prayed within himself. Oh, I've got this sort of God. Yeah, I pray, but I'm not like those other people. Yeah, you know, look, uh, you know, I'm not like them. But the t- tax collector, who in the end was commended, it says he prayed for something he could not do for himself. Yeah, he prayed for something that wasn't humanly possible. I, I believe what gets the attention of heaven is when we're in a position of humility, when we pray for things that, that, that's not humanly possible. Yeah, great, great. We, we pray for stuff that, that we can't do. Yeah, good. We actually humble ourselves. See, see I, I don't see how you can have a, 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 serve a big God and have a small dream. Yeah, and, and humility, when it comes to humility, humility is simply agreeing with God. And, and when, when it comes to God, God will always give you and I a dream that's far and beyond ourselves. Far and beyond what's humanly impos- uh, possible. You know, it's like, we can't do this. This is out there. That, that, but humility says, God, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to rely on you. I'm going to lean into you. And I'm going to commune with you because, you know, you said it. And if you said it, it will come to pass. See, so many of us, you know, in our daily worlds, we don't pray because I got this. Yeah, we we can go through it, have a good day and and just rely on our own strength. But that's because our, our dream's too small. But humility... It says, hey, God, you, you, if, if what the, I feel in my heart is you, this is crazy. This is nuts. Yeah, you, you, you talk about, you know, the influence and the impact of this church. You know, I challenge to say, uh, not any, if any, churches in New Zealand are having the impact that we're having internationally. And I'm not uh, lifting, us, uh, uh, lifting us up to say how good we are. I'm lifting you know, God up to say how faithful He is. And, and, you know, but to think you know, that from New Zealand we could impact Europe is just stupid. It's nuts. 
you know, a small nation. You know, I, I, I've said before, you know, I went to a church in Brazil and they're going, oh, where's New Zealand? You know, natural reference point is, you know, Lord of the Rings? Yeah, yeah, we're that, we're that, that place. Up, up till the Lord of the Rings, nobody knew anything about New Zealand. But Lord of the Rings, people know, yeah, oh, that place, oh, Hobbiton, that's where you live. Yeah, it's like that. And I went to the church there and, you know, they had a well map on, 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 on the back wall in New Zealand wasn't even on the map. I'm saying, you know, I'm saying we're down there somewhere. They didn't even include Samoa, Tonga, and Rarotonga, and all, all those other places as well. Wow, wow, they are this. You know, the Pacific was missed out. Totally, and we're down there. It was like you. They're almost looking at us, thinking we came from a totally different planet. But you know, to think that we could change the world. Just to believe that, to believe that we could change a city is just crazy. Yeah, yeah, I like the disciples. They just believed. They had no status. They had no wealth. They just believed God. And we are a result here today of their belief. Come on, what are you believing God for? Because humility, a humble heart agrees with God. Just, how many know if God's called you to be awesome, which he has, the, the most... Humble response, you can say, is, God, I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to be awesome. Yeah, who, who are we to lift ourselves up as a higher judge than God? Come on, right now, God thinks you're amazing. God thinks you're incredible. We look in the mirror and go, oh, man, if God could move that, move that, shift that, uh, there'll be a whole lot better. But, you know, when you say that, you're saying God made a mistake. When God made you, he didn't make a mistake. You can go, whoops, got that wrong. Got that wrong. Oh, we'll do better on the next one. <laughs> you know, God didn't do that. You're created in the image of God. Come on, you're, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Come on, God's got a purpose for your life. Oh, I reckon we need a bigger clap of praise for God than that. Come on. You're fearfully and you're wonderfully made. You're called to do awesome things. Yeah, you may feel insignificant. Yeah, we all feel insignificant. Yeah, we all get insecure from time to time. But when you're insecure, what you've got to remind yourself of is, is when you're insecure, you're disagreeing with God. In fact, I challenge to say our insecurity is rooted in pride. Some of you are saying, how could you say that? Well, here's the deal. By the way, how many get insecure from time to time? Lift your hand. Yeah, okay. I'll just wait for the insecure people. Uh, <laughs> Should I lift my hand? Who's looking? Who's watching? It's like, oh, I feel so conspicuous. It's like, it's like, okay, you can lift your hand now. No. But, you know, our insecurity is rooted in pride. How do I know this? I, I know it because when you're insecure, who are you thinking about? Yourself. And, and as long as your eyes and your attention is on yourself, you can't think about what God's doing. Come on, I had to remind myself growing up, a shy, insecure pastor's kid. You know, it's like, Sam, I, I used to say when I was insecure, stop being proud. Stop being proud. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And could some of us right now be in a place of resistance? We're resistant, no open doors, closed doors, simply because of the pride in our heart. 
Come on, God has called you to do something awesome and amazing. Just to finish with, uh, uh, we're on a leadership tour this week around the country and uh, in many different locations. And, and Pastor Steve Graham preached one of these unbelievable messages again that was like, oh, rock, uh, rock, rock our world. And, and anyway, he, he, he was talking about how him and Christine were in the Philippines and they just wanted a, a, a model of ministry that could be effective anywhere. Uh, he read a book and uh, from this book it was like, oh man, this revolutionary strategy. You know, this could work here in the Philippines, but he got thinking about it, it could work anywhere. In fact, you know, as a Bible college principal, he, he goes, oh, actually Jesus, he was the one who had this strategy. And, and so I want you to go in your Bible to Luke chapter 10, because uh, when it comes to ministry, uh, ministry needs to be accessible to everyday people, to ordinary people. Uh, Churches not, should not be built on superstars or anything like that, on the gifts of a few. You know, it, it's not about that. It's about equipping. You know, the reason why we're called Equippers Church is because we believe the New Testament model of church is to equip the saints, who's everyone in this building. You know, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Do you know, as a believer, you have a ministry. You know, some people say, oh, God called me into the ministry. No, if you're saved, you know, the moment you got saved, you have a ministry that God wants you to outwork. And in Luke chapter 10, uh, it talks about how Jesus sent out the 70. And he gave these commands to them. He said, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And if someone promotes peace there, peace will rest on them. If not, return, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking. That's good news. Whatever they give you, for a worker deserves his wages, do not move from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Oh, flip. Heal the sick. It's gone. Heal the sick. And who are there? And tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God has come near you. Now, there's just four simple steps that I want us to grab hold of. Uh, Steve sometimes probably will do a better job than I. But, but when it comes to a strategy to impact our world, what are we called to do? We're called to bless. Not called to judge. We're not called to write Facebook commentaries correcting people's theology. Just saying. It's not your responsibility to do that. Yeah, it's, you're called to bless. Bless. Peace. You know, peace. Bless them. Shalom. Peace. Be it. You're to bless. The second thing you need to do is, he says, have fellowship. Eat. Man, that's a good thing. How many know, when it comes to blessing people, that's not hard. Anybody can bless. You know, you can go in a work situation and just encourage someone. Bless them. You can bless somebody financially. You can bless somebody with a meal. You can, you can bless. We're all called to bless. I wonder what would happen if every Christian just decided to go into their world, into their week, and say, I'm going to bless people this week. I'm going to look for opportunities to bless people. You know, then as a result of blessing people, what, what, what Jesus is saying is have fellowship with them. Eat with them. Drink with them. You know, in today's world, we've become so isolated. We're, we're connected on social media, but, but people don't open their homes like they used to. Homes are very closed off. And you know, as a church, I, I really believe a revolutionary strategy would be for some of us just to open their home and have people around for dinner. 
just, just open your home. Get them around. You know, or, or at least go out to a cafe or, or to McDonald's or something. Just, just eat with people. And in the, processing, uh, in the process of eating and having fellowship with people, what happens is people begin to open up their hearts. Yeah. No, eating is a biblical strategy. Yeah. In fact, Nehemiah said, eat the fat and drink the sweet. Man, there's, there's something from God. Uh, you're trying to avoid the fat, but God's saying, eat the fat and drink the sweet. But not too much. Okay, no, eating, fellowship. You know, in fact, right around New Testament, you read through Jesus, always meal, sitting around. I, I challenge to say some of the most life-defining conversations have happened for me around a dinner table where I've just been talking. Yeah, this is important, the corporate gathering, but, but if we're really to change our world, this is to equip people so that they can go about blessing people. Bless people, bless people. Bless, then, then invite. And when was the last time you invited somebody over? At a meal, eat, open your home, keep open house, eat with people, share. And as you're talking, needs come to the fore. You go, hey, I know somebody who could help you. You know, I, I could pray for you. You know, you have this need. Oh, tough time at work right now. Oh, you know, I believe God could turn that around. I, I believe God could change that. I, uh, you know, my kids, you know, I just, uh, oh, I, I believe God, God could help you in that. that, that, that so, so the first one is, is bless. Second one is eat. Third one is show. Just show the kingdom. Show. Just, you know, God wants to do this. I can pray for you. Now, there's been time that people are having sickness. I'll go, oh, I can pray for you. My neighbor saw back. Oh, I'll pray for you this week. I'll pray for you. He comes back next week. Yeah, it's a bit better. I'm going, well, that's God. That's God. Yeah, you know, so, so it's bless, eat, show, and then just tell. So in this verse, it was like, heal the sick or minister to people's felt needs. And then once you've done that, just explain what's happened. The kingdom of God has come near you. Pretty easy strategy that everybody could get involved with. If we just went around, you know, blessing people, eating meals, showing people, just can I pray for you? I'll pray this week. And then once the testimony comes, go, well, that's Jesus. He loves you. That's Jesus. He's for you. That's Jesus. He can help you. Come. Just come and see. Then it's come and see. See, the gospel, you know, too many people think the gospel is just go and tell. If we could have the musicians up. Let's go and tell. Yes, the gospel is go and tell. But it's go and tell and it's come and see. It's both and. You know, in fact, you read through Scripture, you know, the, the whole kingdom is one big invitation. It's an invitation. Come and see. You know, Philip to, to, to Nathaniel, come and see the man. Come, out, come and check it out for yourself. You know, come and see. And I, I, I really believe, yeah, we need to go and tell. But, but, you know, some of that's hard when you've got no connection. When you've got no relationship. That's why, you know, if we just went around blessing people, having meals with people, I mean, no, connection becomes natural. 
It's, it's natural then. And then you can minister to felt needs. You know, whether it's practical or whether it's spiritual, you can be generous in that environment. You minister to those felt needs and then you just tell them. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's come near to you. That feeling, that's Jesus. He loves you. He's for you. He's got a plan for your life. Come on, I wonder whether you and I could be heaven magnets. Come on, how many want to attract heaven to their life? And I'm not just talking about saying, God, I want you, I want to use you to accomplish my victory. I just want to use you. Now, God, I want you to use me. My life is yours. God, you've got a purpose for my life. You've got a dream for my life that's so much better than any dream I could dream up. God, I give my life to you. I give my everything to you. It's yours. I give it. And in the giving of life, you begin to find life. You begin to discover life. See, until you lose your life, you'll never find life. You can hold on to it, but you'll end up losing it. God has something so much bigger than you and I can fathom. It's beyond our imagination. Come on, you're born for something greater. And if we're just engaged, you know, two activities to start with, generosity, prayer, and we'll be on mission each and every day. I really, really believe we'll see something supernatural take place in Jesus' name. How many believe that? Come on, would you smile? For me, everybody just smile. No, I'm not going to sing the song. Don't worry. For me, you look so much better when you a whole lot more. Come on, we got something to be happy about. How about standing to your feet? Come on, this is a radical type of love. When God comes and gets hold of your life, He changes everything. And He does it for the better. Come on, if you just want to freshly surrender your heart to Him, how about just lifting your hands? I believe the Holy Spirit's in this moment. And the question I want to ask is, just what, would, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Come on, where do you need to make some adjustment in your thinking and in your behavior? Uh, there's always got to be a call to action. We can't just hear the Word and go on with our ordinary day lives. Come on. Uh, the Word of God requires an action. You know, if we hear it and we don't do anything about it, we're in danger of entering into deception. But we're a church that just doesn't speak about mission. We're, we're on mission. We want to activate something. And so what would the Holy Spirit say to you right now? Oh, where do you need to make some adjustments? Holy Spirit, right now, we thank you you're in this place. And Lord, I pray you just come and speak to each and every one of our hearts. Lord, we want to be like Cornelius, who attracted the attention of heaven. Lord, who caused the church to enter a whole new zone. Lord, I pray, let our lives, Lord, be, be, be a blessing to those around us. Lord, we're blessed. 
so that we can be their blessing. Lord, I pray you, you'd enrich people here. Lord, that there'd just be an overflow into the lives that they are around each and every day. Lord, we love you. Lord, you've given us so much. You're a good God. And Lord, we love doing good to the people around us. Lord, let us be rich in good deeds, we pray. 